Welcome to the Insight Podcast. Joining me on the show today is sports and exercise psychologist Carla Mayen. Carla works as an assistant professor at the University of Amsterdam. She's also the author of Empowered Birth, Lessons from Sports Psychology for Your Maternity Journey. I talked to Carla about the story behind her book, Empowered Birth, how lessons from sports psychology can be applied to the maternal journey, from pregnancy to birth to postpartum. We talk about goal setting, being flexible and process goals versus outcome goals, the role of self-talk, the importance of social support, and much more. Enjoy the episode. So Carla, the title of your book, Empowered Birth, Lessons from Sports Psychology for Your Maternity Journey. Now that must kind of catch people's attention. It's an interesting topic, isn't it? Um, so let's start with, well, how did that book come about? How did that topic come about? Yeah, it's obviously a question I get all the time. And uh, I suppose it's a combination of a couple of different different things. So my research is very much around performing under pressure as well as the endurance you know, what's the, what are the psychological demands of endurance performance? And often in maternity journey is kind of likened to, you know, running a marathon. So you can see where some of those synergies already lie with some of the research that I, I do in, you know, challenge and threat states. How do you approach something as a challenge, not a threat? And that, the kind of that endurance journey. Also, my work as an applied practitioner, you know, work with endurance performance and kind of see what those, you know, pushing through pain, discomfort, you know, the pacing elements, the duration, those types of things, you know, I, I, I get, you know, encounters with that as a, in my role as a kind of an applied practitioner as well. And then obviously it's my own lived experience. So um, my kind of when I gave birth to my daughter from my water breaking to her, you know, actually pushing her out was 50 hours. So that was quite a duration, um, I suppose, where... I drew on pretty much every psychological strategy that I'm teaching my students, that I'm working on with athletes, and you know that I use in my kind of own sports experience as well. So I suppose that kind of planted some seeds. But really, what kind of brought it home was after giving birth, I'm having some conversations with other kind of new mums, and they talked about, okay, well, I've been to like NCT antenatal classes and. They said, oh, try some of this, try some of that. And they said, well, actually, when I when I was in that situation where I guess there is pressure, you know, like there's uncertainty, all these types of things, they were like, well, I just didn't remember. Like I completely forgot about all these things that I've been taught. And it was really that kind of gap between these really good intentions. I wanted to use this, but I couldn't put it into action. So that real kind of intention action gap was really prevalent. And I'm you know, I find that really interesting in kind of my research as well. I suppose within the pandemic hitting, having, you know, more time, um, I came up with that idea and I did some research and no one actually wrote a book about it. And I thought, okay, well, maybe there's something here um, to to pursue. So there we go. That's kind of the combination of factors that made me write that book. Oh, 50 hours, man. You women are just superheroes. <laughs> It's amazing. Um, so 
what was going to, I mean, the, the, the lessons that we can learn from sports psychology, I, I, I find fascinating. But one of my favorite things to watch on Netflix are those sports documentaries, you know, the, the basketball players, the quarterbacks over in America, and then taking what we can learn from them and applying it to our own lives. Like it's just, it's, it's fascinating. And to apply it then to the maternal journey is just, it's, it's so interesting. But to get a bit more context, I suppose, when you say you work with endurance athletes, I'm a bit, I'm, I'm interested now to hear more about what exactly you do with those athletes and, and how you help them. Yeah, I suppose when we think about endurance, there's from our research, we know some, some kind of very particular demands such as the pain, discomfort, the pacing, the motivation. You know, there's a lot of time to think. So how do you manage all those thoughts? Um, and those are typically the types of things that, you know, we work with um, when we work with endurance runners. Obviously, every endurance runner is individual. So what you do, you do kind of a, a needs assessment. We call that kind of a case formulation to kind of understand what their demands are. And then kind of work with them around, okay, what, what are types of things that we can put into play? So, you know, things like, you know, how do you set your goals? How do those maybe fuel some of your pressure um, experiences? And how can you set goals a healthier way is just an example of the types of things um, that might be working on with an endurance athlete. And that comes back quite a bit in kind of the maternity journey as well. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what this ep episode is all about. Like, what can we learn from sports psychology and apply to to pregnancy to birth and then to postpartum as well before we get into that like the one other question i wanted to ask you was about whether you've had a kind of a, a negative reaction to to that topic whether anyone has kind of um come back with well you know pregnancy and what, what women go through is is kind of sacred, uh, this journey that they go through. And we don't need the kind of practical, um, I don't know, practical tools applied to, to it. This is something that should just be set on its own. And of course, there's many, um, there's lots of um, traditional advice, isn't there, around um, the journey that women go through. And I suppose you, you might be battling against that as well. So have you come up against any of that? And, and how might you handle it as well? Yeah, it's such a fascinating topic area, isn't it? When we think about the maternity journey, it's so influenced by our kind of social, political, cultural backgrounds. And, you know, like I come from the Netherlands and I, I was actually, my mom gave birth at home. Um, so I could point out the exact place where I was born and where I was delivered. And, you know, there was no like, you know, pain, pain relief wasn't, well, I mean, you could choose for it, but it was something within the culture um, where it was kind of advocated, I don't know if that's a healthy thing or not, but that was kind of in that culture advocated that, you know, it, it's okay to give birth without um, too much too much pain relief. It's just an example of like a cultural background thing. Um, whereas, you know, what you say, it's um, in other situations more kind of, you know, much hands off, let, you know, the women kind of um, engage in that birth process. Other cultures, like in Brazil, for example, most children are born via cesarean section. So it's very much a medical um, thing. So I think we really need to consider these kind of cultural differences and respect that um, and understand how that informs the pressure that women might experience when they maybe give birth in a different, different culture or a different environment. Um, there's, you know, I live in London. It's such a multicultural city. Um, so I suppose the challenges for midwives in hospitals is like, how do you manage those, those different cultures 
Um, and they themselves have different kind of cultural backgrounds as well. So I think we just have to respect that there's no one way that works for everyone. Um, and I, you know, of course, when you write a book, you hope that it will hit like a big market. Um, but I also, you know, very much aware that it's, it's not for everyone. Like not everyone likes sports. Some people hate sports. They hate exercise. Um, so I can understand that, you know, they, they can really perhaps relate to the message of, you know, the lessons we can learn from sport. You know, you talked about the documentaries and the types of things that you can learn from, from sports. And there are some amazing things. Sports is such a powerful vehicle to, put yourself, you know, in another domain because you're not always very good in crossing domains and kind of learning lessons from one domain that we've, you know, maybe shown some really strengths into another domain. Um, so hopefully that is something like a lesson or a message from the book that perhaps even if you're not that much into sports, are there maybe some other kind of settings such as a leadership role in your job where you've performed under pressure where you know you've encountered similar demands and you managed to cope with those and use some different psychological strategies that you can actually then apply in the maternity journey so you don't start from zero. Mm. So let's get into those um, applications then. Should we start with pregnancy? Well, it would make sense to start with pregnancy, wouldn't it? <laughs> so that, of course, presents some um, mental and physical challenges. How can the lessons of sports psychology be applied during pregnancy? Yeah, so I think what's really important at the outset is to, you know, emphasize obviously a really individual journey. Um, and we need to understand what the demands are that you as an individual experience before even implementing any strategy. So we're, we're kind of having this toolbox, we're kind of looking into this toolbox, um, but we need to understand which tools work for which demand. So we first need to kind of really think about um, what are the different demands at the different stages of the um, of the pregnancy. So, you know, you've got your first, your second, your third trimester. That's kind of your traditional, um, you know, how people look at pregnancy. So often, you know, the first trimester, it's a lot of fatigue. It's like your body's getting ready. It's, it's really tough, but people don't actually see that you're pregnant. You're not actually showing. So it's also the uncertainty. Lots of things can happen in that first trimester. And typically, you know, when you think about sport and exercise, it is, you know, really listening to your body. And maybe you've never really learned how to do that before because you always push, push, push through. Um, so it's, it's kind of reflecting on what some of those demands are in those, those kind of different trimesters and how, you know, it might be managing conversations of, you know, your birth plan, or it might be the confidence, might be motivation. So it, it's really about thinking what are the different demands that I'd experience. And definitely, you know, the, the fatigue one is such a big one um, to manage. Like, how do you manage rest and recovery um, as well as kind of that uncertainty? And, you know, how do you understand what's within your control, what's not within your control or kind of some examples of demands that people may experience on the, on the kind of, you know, the pregnancy um, aspect. I mean, obviously you've got a lot of physical things. I'm not a birthing expert. So I'm also a little bit wary going too much into, you know, like these are the types of kind of physiological things that happen um, because obviously we've got better experts uh, for that, but you definitely you know there's a whole bunch of mental demands that, you know, you don't want to have a think about. Um, to then, okay, what, what do I have in my toolbox? What do I need to build or kind of, you know, get into my toolbox to then help me get ready for, you know, giving birth as well as that kind of postpartum period? Mm. So I suppose like an athlete, um, 
knowing when to rest is is vital. You're you're feeling tired and run down, and maybe oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> and maybe at some points feeling like, well, well, this is normal. I should just be pushing through it. I should just be getting on with it. And so it's, I guess, finding that balance. And and how does an athlete and how does someone that's pregnant, how do they know how to to kind of navigate that? How do you know when it's time to rest? And how do you know when it's kind of just a normal, just a little bit of feeling of, of tiredness and run down. And actually we, you can, you can still, um, you know, be, be going about your, your day. And I suppose one of the things you mentioned was listening to your body and being really aware and in tune. I thought it was really interesting what you said about that might be the first time that you're doing that because, you know, in 2024, we're just rushing from one thing to another. And we, we, we very rarely sit down and actually listen to, to what our bodies and our brains are telling us, do we? So what, how can, how can, a woman navigate that and know when it's time to rest and and be I don't know confident enough to 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 do that and to make sure people around them know that that they need to rest. Yeah, I think it's it's such an important point. Um, just to, I'll come back to that in a second, but just to pick up on that, there's also a lot of conflicting advice. Um, so when we think about sports and exercise and how to do that in the maternity journey, um, the Active Pregnancy Foundation has you know done some really amazing work on, on getting that out there because it's still a lot of medical health professionals kind of say, oh, stop, you know, doing any kind of intense exercise oh, right. or, you know, they're kind of wary for lifting weights and those types of things. So I think that's another mental demand is kind of trying to navigate what you're able to do, what you're not able to do. And I think it is about, um, you know, obviously fueling, kind of yourself with that information, knowing what works for you as an individual, what your circumstances are, uh, but also communication is such a key thing. So drawing your social support network. So obviously, you know, your, your partner or, you know, whatever situation uh, your setup is like, the, the people who can support you to help remind you that it's okay to, to rest and take that time to recover. Um, but it can be challenging if you're in an environment where other people don't know that you're, uh, yeah. you know, pregnant and you might not want to share that yet. So it's also like, how do you navigate that to still be able to rest and recover um, within an environment where people maybe don't understand why you have that need? So it's like navigating that and learning from others is a, is a really, really key thing. It's like, you know, find people who have been in a similar situation. How did they navigate that? What are perhaps some lessons that you could learn from them as well? Mm, all about community. Love that for sure. Do you know Tia Toomey, the CrossFit athlete? Have you heard of her? Yes. Yeah, I've heard of her. Yeah. Do, have you seen Because she's, she's given birth, I think now recently, but I think she was training throughout her pregnancy and there's some videos of what she was still doing. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that's a good approach, but it was just, it was pretty incredible to see what she was still, the way she was still training. And you, you kind of watch the video and it, it takes you aback a bit because I guess traditionally we we just wouldn't expect to see that, would we? Um, but I suppose we don't, we don't want to go too far on a tangent here about exercising during pregnancy. But I, but I think that's another interesting yeah. topic, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you should definitely get someone from the Active Pregnancy Foundation on your podcast because okay. they can break that down really well for you. Um, and I think it's such an important topic. It's really important to get that out there. Uh, you know, she's been such a good role model. You know, she's got so many people on social media. I remember I got bombarded with her promotion videos um, as, you know, a sponsored video. Um, and I think it is important because we want to feel empowered. We don't want to feel like we can't do anything yeah. during that pregnancy journey because there's so many health benefits from 
being active if your body lets you. So I think the key lesson is obviously to listen to your body um, and pacing is and learning to pace is, is really important and kind of, I suppose one of the key things to embrace on that kind of maternity journey is that whole self-regulated learning is that notion that, you know, you plan what you're going to do, you act, you do it and you reflect. So it's about trying how your body responds in a responsible manner. What worked for you? Maybe how could you, you know, tune into some of the discomfort? What are the strategies that you used? How can you keep doing that during that maternity journey. So when it then comes to kind of giving birth, that's really a strong kind of strategy that you have ready um, to feel more empowered during actually that giving birth. Mm. So like um, time. Yeah. So like an athlete, do you suggest a woman kind of tracks what they're doing, tracks their day? What did I do today? What did I eat? Uh, how much did I move? And then maybe at the end of the week, you kind of reflect on that. Oh, I felt really good this day. This is working for me. Oh no, I pushed it too far this time. And now like I'm really seeing the parallels between um, what an athlete might do and what someone who's pregnant might do as well. Is that something you should suggest, you know, writing it down in a notebook or in a, you know, an electronic document, something like that? Yeah, I mean, there's no harm for most people doing it, although some people might kind of start to over worry. Right. <laughs> so it is do, do that in a healthy way, not kind of in an obsessive way. But what I also think is really important is to reflect on the, the psychological uh, strategies that you've used. So I felt good today. It's maybe not just of, you know, what you've eaten, but it might be because you talked really positively to yourself. Like, you know, something happened, you know, maybe... Um, you were out and about and someone got a bit cross and you managed that really well. And that made you feel very empowered. You think, okay, well, actually that's something that's quite useful because there'll be loads of opportunity times during that maternity journey when things happen that are unexpected. People might say things that you don't like. Mm. Um, so how do you feel that you can learn from that? And I, I remember that Chemi Alcott gave when just when I was um, a few weeks pregnant, she gave a talk about her, um, exercising in a gym when she was pregnant and that someone told her, well, why are you doing this? Um, and she felt so like disempowered in that moment. And she was like, well, wh why let I someone else like tell me what to do? They don't know. They probably don't know anything. And I remember that. So I used that as kind of fuel during my maternity journey that if anyone was going to tell me, oh, you shouldn't be running or you shouldn't be doing this, um, I used that as like, okay, I already thought about a strategy so if anyone would come up to me and say, oh, you shouldn't be doing this, I already felt more confident to say, well, actually, what do you know? Do you, are, you, are you a medical professional with expertise in this area? And so I think that's an example of the types of things that we can also do to, you know, maybe feel more confident. So are there conversations that you can prepare in advance to then feel more confident going into that maternity journey. Mm. It's crazy how willing people are to dish out their completely unfounded advice about things, isn't it? <laughs> whether it's pregnancy, whether it's yeah. nutrition, uh, maybe finances as well. Like some things are just passed down and just said like repeatedly when no one's actually done any reflection on it. It's just, they're just repeating what they've heard from someone else and they don't actually know what they're talking about. But it's really interesting how Confident people, confidently people can talk on a subject that they know almost nothing about. Yeah. 
And it can be really disempowering. Yeah. And so when we think about the demands that people might encounter during maternity journey, this might be something that can really harm their confidence and question what they're doing, whether that's the right thing. And I think this happens in sports as well. You know, people might question your training methods. So how have you responded to that? So a lot of, I suppose, what I try to get across in the book is, okay, what have you, how have you managed some of those demands before? What have you got in your psychological strategy toolbox that has worked? And where do you feel maybe some gaps are? Like what tools do you need to add to your toolbox? And during that maternity journey in the kind of lead up to giving birth, what are, where is scope for you to practice some of those things? What's realistic? Yeah. So we can move on to birth then. So what about some techniques that can help for managing pain, stress? Um, what can we take from sports psychology and apply to, to the birth birthing process? Is that the right phrase? I don't know if I'm saying the right thing here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of different ways of saying it. Yeah, giving birth, like what, what, what can we apply to the maternity journey, I suppose. So from kind of conversations, so for the book, I interviewed um, a dozen women. So from recreational athletes to Olympic gold medal winners. And kind of from that, some of the, the kind of demands, you know, comparison with others is a massive thing. You know, emotions, managing those, pain and discomfort as we already talked about that confidence, but also the effort, you know, like the effort levels, um, how do you manage that? And some of the things that, you know, we came up, like identified from those interviews and kind of from my work as a, as a sports psychologist, types of things that we can look at as goal setting. So when we think about goal setting, it's um, for most women on the kind of maternity journey, they develop uh, some kind of birth plan. Mm. So how do I want to give birth? Where do I want to give birth? Who do I want to be there? What do I want to do? Like there's so many questions, like the NHS has a booklet that you complete and you then discuss that uh, with your midwife. And often, you know, women have this, this like very ideal um, picture of that birth plan. And that's good, but it becomes very unhelpful if you then things don't go according to plan. So if that birth plan needs to be thrown overboard and you've never mentally prepared for, okay, well, actually there might need to be a plan B and C, that becomes really difficult to manage. It, it just adds a lot of pressure. And what we know physiologically from, you know, the, the moment you're kind of, you know, going into labor, you want to have a nice kind of hormonal equilibrium. And, you know, if you have this kind of, you know, cortisol because you're feeling stressed, that can really, you know, disrupt that hormonal equilibrium. So it's really important, like, how can you then, if you've already prepared that there might be, you know, um, a plan B and a plan C, and you're okay with diverting to that plan B or C, then that pressure is much more kind of uh, reduced. And hopefully, as a result, you don't have those kind of spikes in cortisol that can be quite unhelpful uh, when we think about those kind of, you know, the hormonal equilibrium that we're looking for um, at that stage um, of, you know, when, you, when you're in labor. So I think that's one thing is having that goal flexibility is such an important thing to, to consider. But the other thing is also, you know, you might have come across that in your kind of own sporting background is, you know, when we giving, you know, setting goals, uh, there's so much emphasis in sporting context on these kind of outcome and performance goals and not so much on these process goals. So we kind of want to make sure that you also set these process goals. So what is it we can do? So it might be how you're going to do your breathing or 
How are you going to do your counting? And so really set some goals for that. So for these different demands, you know, if I feel like everything's going to be a little bit too much, I can um, do some breathe, you know, get myself more grounded, focusing on breathing or, you know, my birthing partner can remind me to engage in my breathing. So it's like that real process goal is really important to consider as well. And the other thing is uh, when we think about goal setting as a strategy is that idea of chunking. So chunking it up, so breaking it down. Um, so even a contraction, you can break down, you can chunk a contraction down. So, you know, when you think contraction, typically, obviously not for every everyone, but typically it's like one minute. So you have like a little spike and you get to the spike and then it comes down and then you have typically two minutes rest and then kind of it goes up and it comes down. So you can even chunk that one contraction up knowing that you'll be able to rest a little bit afterwards. So this whole idea of chunking is quite a nice way of looking at it. And Chrissy Wellington, who I um, interviewed for the book, she talks about how, you know, when she, when she's doing her Ironmans, how she chunks that up, like, you know, then it's 10 K, you know, to go, or she did the same during her maternity, you know, during, um, her labor, like when she was giving birth, she was chunking that up and found that a really helpful strategy to use. So, um, yeah, so that's one example is, is kind of that, you know, how do you set goals to reduce the pressure is a, is a big kind of demand um, to manage through yeah. um, those examples of, of kind of using goal setting. That's great. Yeah. Chrissy's a friend of my sister and my brother-in-law. She was at their wedding. So I did meet her very briefly once. Um, man, she was, uh, she was impressive, wasn't she? <laughs> An impressive athlete. Incredible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so many lessons yeah. To, to learn from her. And I, I think another strategy that I talk about in the book, so I talk about like self-talk, imagery, um, you know, attention, mindfulness and breathing, social support. So, for example, self-talk is another kind of strategy that, that's quite helpful to look at. Um, it's like, okay, what are the demands um, that I encounter and what, what's the kind of type of self-talk that I can plan? So, you know, when we think about self-talk, you can have self-talk plans that are very, you know, proactive. You think about the demands, what are the types of self-talk statements that will help with those demands? And then obviously we also have this kind of spontaneous chatter that might occur under pressure and, you know, that's more kind of reactive self-talk but you can do quite a bit in terms of your kind of self-talk planning so things like pain and discomfort is such a big thing um you know like if you're you're in discomfort you know it might be that you're using instructional self-talk to divert your attention to breathing mm -hmm. um and you know that's something you can practice beforehand so it might be that there's some you know in the, in the book i give an example of yoga there might be some kind of safe yoga poses where you might experience a level of discomfort and can you practice some of these self-talk statements see what uh, works for you so it might be something like the pain is temporary um, as a, a self-talk statement um, or the pain this is good pain it will you know help bring the baby one step closer when I think about every contraction so there's things that you can do beforehand and I think with self-talk that's really important to match the self-talk to the statement because there are some really generic kind of mantras out there um, when, you know, you think about the birthing process and they might not resonate mm -hmm. with you. So they will do nothing <laughs> when you're in pain or discomfort or, you know, need some, you know, bit of effort um, to, to really push in that kind of final stage of labor. 
And so I do think that it is important, again, to map those demands. What can I do and share those self-talk statements um, with who's with you um, in, in the room? Ah, interesting. Yeah. So before you, you're going to have to go through them and, and see what lands, see what works for you, see what kind of statements um, resonate. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm sure that there's some things that, you know, you, you can reflect on from, you know, maybe you've ran a marathon and, you know, you really, really hit the wall, but you managed to push through. Like, what, what were the types of things mm. that you said to yourself that helped you? So that reflection kind of comes back. So again, what's then the lessons from sports that you can take with you? Because that's already grounded. Like it becomes so much more automatic if it's something that you've practiced before. It becomes so much stronger and so much more available compared to, you know, if you're doing something completely new, you're like, oh, that sounds like a nice statement. Let's try that. And you you probably completely forget about it. Yeah. In terms of breathing practices, are there certain, I don't know, counts of in and out that you found to be, that, that you know are effective? Is, is it something like that, that we, how, how we might approach it? You know, like in for four, out for six, uh, yeah, something like that? With breathing, yeah, you, again, it's a practicing thing, isn't right. it? Because uh, one of the things that typically as a sports psychologist, we, we practice is this diaphragmatic mm. breathing so when we're under pressure, what we tend to do is we have this very shallow breathing. We breathe up high to the shoulders. You know, you see often when people are under pressure, their shoulders move when they're breathing. When you say, take a deep breath in, they would do like, <gasps> and, you know, they don't really get a lot of oxygen in their body. So one of the things that's really important is to think about this grounded breathing, like really focusing on the diaphragm. And the interesting thing is obviously things move around a bit when you're pregnant. So how the diaphragmatic breathing feels when you're not pregnant is a little bit different from when you're pregnant. So, you know, that's a thing you can practice because you get more oxygen in the body and that's helpful. Um, you know, when we think about the blood flow and all those types of things. So that kind of diaphragmatic breathing is good. And I think, yes, there's kind of different um, recommendations in terms of how many counts in and how many counts out. Uh, but I also think it's really important that you practice this um, mm -hmm. so you feel more confident in that. So, you know, maybe five seconds works for one, it's actually six seconds for, for someone else. And people count slightly different, right, <laughs> in terms of how long their counts take. Um, so, you know, as long as you make sure um, that that pattern isn't out of balance. So, you know, sometimes when you only breathe in for you know, so many seconds and out for so many seconds, you feel out of breath. Mm. Um, so you don't want to get to that state where you feel out of breath. So it's really thinking about the, the breathing count that works for you. So it might be that six seconds in, six seconds out, actually something that really works for you. It's a nice count. Um, but there's some research, I don't know on top of my head, about certain um, seconds, but no, I don't have those. Yeah, no, that's okay. But it's a little springboard for people, isn't it? That that might be intrigued, and then go and go and find out some different patterns that might work for them. Interesting. And so then onto postpartum. Then the kind of the the recovery physically and mentally from giving birth, but also there's the adjusting to motherhood, isn't there? Especially if you were, if, if it's your your first child, um, you're going through huge changes, aren't you? So. What can be applied here? How can we take the lessons from sports psychology in that postpartum period? Yeah, it's it's such an important question, isn't it? Like what, what's happening postpartum? And again, it's like, what are demands that you're facing? And one of those major demands is that, you know, identity change. Um, Kelly Massey um, at Liverpool, um, John Morse, he's doing <coughs> her PhD research on that. 
Um, and one of the things that I love about one of her published studies is when she talked about the, the post-mom PB. So one of the, the athletes she interviewed um, was talking about how the PB was now going to be her post-mother PB. And one of the things when we think about our identity, you know, our identity is made up of so many different elements and we didn't develop our sports identity overnight either. Mm. And I think often we, like a lot of women, give themselves a lot of pressure to think that, you know, you need to have this mother identity straight the moment you give birth. But that's not really realistic, right? Like the first time, you know, you're a CrossFit, like the first time you went into a CrossFit gym, did everything go well? Did you exactly know what to do straight away? Probably not. So why do you place those expectations on yourself to know immediately what to do um, after giving birth? So it's it's giving yourself that time to develop that post-mother identity. What does that look like? And allow yourself that this will change over time. It won't be static. Like our identity changes, um, you know, our sports identity changes, you know, our athletic identity changes, our mother identity changes. And I think that's such an important message to relay is that these, these things change, be kind and compassionate to yourself um, and embrace actually what you've learned from that maternity journey back into sports as well. So it's, you know, maybe you can also think about that as a strength-based approach where, okay, what, what have I learned from this? What can I take from that back into the sporting environment? So using that kind of reflection mindset there as well. Um, but at the same time, the strategies that I talk about in the book, like the goal setting, but also imagery, um, you know, self-talk, how can you apply that in the postpartum period? And then I think the, the other thing that's, that I talk about in that kind of chapter um, that comes from kind of sporting environment is that whole idea of how do you decompress? So, you know, for many women, it's, it's kind of a major event, right? Giving birth in that kind of maternity journey. And it's important to take some time to um, give that a place um, to reflect on that and what the, um, the UKSI, so the UK Institute of Sport, they have developed this um, kind of um, decompression, uh, emotion decompression after Olympic Games, so after major events. And some of those, those kind of lessons can translate to that kind of postpartum period as well. So where you, you know, you have that kind of hot debrief immediately after. So it's kind of that, that kind of brain dump of, of what's going on. Then kind of take some time zero where, you know, don't feel the need that you immediately have to make sense of everything that's what's, what's, what's happening. And then it's kind of, you know, really that um, emotion kind of, oh, kind of decompression where there's different stages where, you know, initially you kind of have that contracting where you, you know, hopefully sit down with someone and think about, okay, what am I getting out or what do I hope to achieve from this, this kind of emotional decompression? But also put together a timeline of the meaningful moments. So what's happened and then pick one of those things of the timeline um, that was critical to you and really label the emotions. Like I felt anxious or I felt upset or I felt excited. You know, what, what are types of things that you felt um, and, and thought? And then really think about the impact that that had. So kind of recognize the impact um, and then kind of utilize that meaning, if you like, for looking ahead. Um, so what's your plan for you looking after you um, kind of, thinking about that going forward um, and setting some action points. So kind of really structured process to give you time to reflect on that. But at the same time, don't do that immediately. So 
do that kind of brain dump initially of you know how you're feeling then do some time zero before even engaging in emotional decompression for some some women this might be quite some time after but at the same time it is really important um i've got emails from you know women who said that in even eight nine years after giving birth they feel they feel bad about the experience um, because it wasn't the birth they wanted um and they would have liked to have felt more empowered and so we won't always get the birth you want it's not realistic but what can you do to then come to terms with that i think is a really important thing if if it does affect you and Obviously, if, if you had a birth where you've very experienced trauma, do make sure you seek help. I think that's really important. Don't, don't try to resort and do it by yourself. I think it's, it's all so good. Um, such like point, points that I've just never even considered before. And, and that, that phrase, the, the decompression, emotional decompression, it, you know, you hear that phrase and then think, right, that it just makes so much sense. Like, yes, someone, uh, an athlete that has just achieved their wildest dreams or whatever, they've won the Olympic medal and then they get swept up in all that kind of, I don't know, the media frenzy and all this other stuff. And they don't have a moment to, to pause and they just have to kind of keep going, keep going. And I'm guessing a lot of those athletes then just crash and like maybe then can have a real um, low point. Isn't there kind of a phrase for that as well? Like the post gold blues or something, you, you know, where you, you've, you've achieved yeah. the thing that you've been working for 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 years and years and it's like well now what and I imagine that there's a a similar feeling perhaps when you become a mother it's like well now what I've gone I've gone through all this stuff and now I've got to you know be be raising this little human um and also I suppose you have the um nowadays it depending on culture and things but quite quickly people want to come and see the baby don't they And, and you know I've got three sisters a brother that have all had children and they've they've talked about this that you know it's 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 a lot, isn't it? It's so tiring because you're you're having to deal with sleepless nights and 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 um, you've got a new baby in the house. But you also want to be polite and welcoming to all those family and friends that want to come and see the baby. And then I suppose I don't know. Are you you're just delaying maybe that crash that you're going to feel? And uh, do we need to just be giving women and and of course the partners as well some time just alone to to process everything that they've gone through? And then, like you said, set some goals, make a plan. How are we adjusting to this new identity that we've got now as parents? Exactly. And, and incorporate that goal flexibility. Mm. That's so important. Um, you know, on a personal level, that's what I've learned. I mean, obviously we had a pandemic, so anything I planned didn't, <laughs> didn't happen anyway. But you still have to, you know, you have good days, you have bad days. Um, and maybe there's a minimum goal you can have on a day. Maybe it's even getting up and, you know, getting getting dressed is for, you know, could be the bare minimum Um rather than kind of, you know, and your, your gold level goal would be to go out for a walk. Um, you know, so you could have like some goal flexibility to then still feel that you're, um, cause I think often what happens is, is women then feel that they're not achieving anything. Um, and that can be very disempowering, very disheartening. So what are types of things that make you feel like, okay, I'm doing well, I can see progress here. You know, I feel that, okay, today was not the best day, but I've still, you know, managed to um, give myself some time to just sit with my thoughts or um, I allowed myself to cry. And actually, that's OK. That was, um, you know, a good thing for me today. So 
Um, I think that's really important is that um, this comparison like social media is horrible for that where you know you see someone who's just given birth and does everything fantastic and you just sit down you know in your house and things are just not anything like that and um, that's one of the I suppose very big demands um, on that maternity journey is that comparison game mm -hmm. and like how can you control your journey um, being aware that you know these these People have different backgrounds, people have different demands and, you know, you don't always get the full picture. And I think that's really important to then, you know, maybe use something like self-talk to focus on your own journey. This is my journey. What I've done today is, you know, I can see progress from today to yesterday. And even if you don't see a lot of progress, there might be things that you achieve. And this is something that I advocate is like reflect on things that are going well don't just reflect on things that aren't particularly going well. And, you know, when we when we work with athletes, it's so much easier for them to kind of highlight things where they were disappointed or stressed or anxious rather than actually say, hey, you know, this one event, I, you know, I didn't necessarily perform very well, but I enjoyed it. I had so much fun. Um, yeah, you rarely kind of get those reflections spontaneously. Like you really have to go through kind of structured like self-regulated learning, like a reflective, you know, sheet where you, where you really, not force is the wrong word, but like really encourage athletes to, to focus on some of those positive achievements, which are really helpful because they build your self-efficacy. So you're, you're kind of, you know, self-believe that you can do things, that you have the ability to do things. And that's, again, really important for that postpartum period as well. Yeah, we do tend to just focus on the negatives, don't we? What went wrong? And also that comparison that you're saying as well. Yeah, as an athlete thinking, well, they're training like this and my training partner's beating me and running quicker times. They're getting better and I'm not. Like, What's going on? But of course, it all comes down to us, doesn't it? Like comparing us to yesterday, like, are we making progress? Well, not always. We might not always be making progress, but, you know, are we, are we doing the right things that are working for us? And yeah, not comparing all the time, I think is is definitely uh, an important message. Are there any other lessons? Yeah, and your socials. Oh, sorry. Sorry, no, no, go, go on. on. Go on, Carla. <laughs> I was just going to say the social support system around you is so important mm. to remind you of that, mm. like move you away from some of that comparison. And, you know, like what you said at the postpartum, like it's also the birth partner who maybe needs that decompression yeah. um, stages. So, you know, have those open conversations, but also really, you know, use your social support network to your advantage where you can, like, if you feel there, draw you into the comparison modes, like see if you can find some, some other sources of social support um, to, to move you away from that. Yeah. Well, it's another example of something that someone, two people can go through and maybe they're going through something thoughts in their head. Um, maybe, I mean, I, I hear about both men and women that the baby arrives and they just don't feel um, attached to to it. And they, and they don't, and they're kind of like, well, what's wrong with me? I don't feel like I, I love this, this child. There must be something, I must be an evil person. And then they share it with other people. And maybe another man or the woman says, no, no, I, I had that as well. It, it took a bit of time to come. And I guess what's going on there, a whole flood of hormones are happening, aren't they? And maybe affecting um, our thoughts, feelings and emotions. And so that sharing part is just so important, isn't it? Because so often we think I'm the only one in the world that's thought like this. I must be, there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. And then we share it and someone says, no, no, no. I went through that as well. Yeah. I thought the exact same thing. And you go, ah, okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so important. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Any other any other lessons? Any other tools that we might um, apply before we wrap up the conversation? We cover them yeah, all. Yeah. Well, I suppose uh, the social support one right. we just touched on, yeah. I think, is a, is a really important one. So, how can we um, use that to our advantage? And in the book, there was a there's a really nice example of a runner I interviewed, and she said that she could completely trust her birth partner because he's seen her in her vulnerable moments. Right. And so, you know, when she would go for her long runs and, and really struggled with some of these really long runs, he was there and he knew exactly how she responded when she was under pressure, when she was in pain and discomfort. And so when it then came to the, you know, the, the labor, he knew exactly what to do. Like he knew what her, you know, where she would struggle and how he could kind of get her back on track. Because, you know, sometimes if you, now you think about the contractions, if you kind of lose focus, they feel a lot harder. They feel a lot more painful. And he kind of, you know, knew how to, to kind of re-engage her with the process when she was really flustered um, in the kind of different stages of labor. And I found that such a like powerful example of how you can draw in your social support network. And especially, you know, like your birth partner, if that's the first time they've seen you in pain and discomfort, they will struggle. They might be scared of seeing you in that way. Um, you know, if they've never seen you in pain and discomfort and they love you really, you know, dearly, they, they're like, well, I've seen them in pain, like, and they, they feel flustered. They don't know what to do. Um, so I think, you know, if they're, that's a bit harsh, but if there are any opportunities that, you know, they, they can see you, or at least you can share how you behave in times when you're in pain and discomfort. I think that's, that's really important, um, to kind of, you know, make sure that that support that's there becomes not just, you know, a person in the room but you feel that that's really helpful support there um so i think that that's really important is to kind of really reflect who's in your support um system and if there's any negative or like difficult conversations to be had um do that early on um when you're don't feeling the pressure just yet um so then actually you can put that support into kind of received um as well as perceived support yeah do you think we need to be wary as well of the different roles that kind of people can play and maybe not, um, you know, putting too much emphasis on the partner fulfilling lots of different roles? Um, so does the partner have to be, I'm just thinking of like an athlete with their kind of the people that are around them, they have their their coach, their training partner, their nutritionist, their sports psychologist, all these different people. And is there a risk that um, there can be a big onus on that one person to fulfill all these roles? Like they should know a bit about this. They should be able to support me here. They should be able to do this. Whereas actually, like you said, like a, a wider social network of people who have got different experiences and different backgrounds. I mean, you must be a very popular friend with, with people that are pregnant because they can come and talk to you and get your expertise in that one area, can't they? But then, of course, if we have all these different people that can input from um, different directions, that must be really helpful, mustn't it? Rather than placing all the emphasis on one person. Do you see what I mean? Yes, yeah, 100%. Actually, coming back to Chrissy Wellington, she talked about um, how her social support system was really helpful because um, she also had complete trust in the medical team because as a you know an athlete, she's encountered a lot of you know medical professionals. And so she felt that they supported her because she knew the language that they were speaking. She right. felt comfortable in that environment and she would see them as their team and their kind of social support network. So I definitely feel that if you just have one person and they 
don't know, like, especially if they're first time birth partner, um, they don't know how they're going to respond. Yeah. You know, some, some might find it really, really difficult. So having a plan B, I suppose, building in some goal setting with that as well is, is, is important. And, you know, think about who, who are the different people who can play a different role. So one of the women I interviewed is that what she did is um, she was using WhatsApp to message different friends for different reasons. Um, so to get their support. So, um, which is really nice because when you're doing this hot debrief afterwards, um, you can kind of go through some of those, those really raw messages uh, when you were in labor. And, but she did that really purposefully where she would, you know, have people that she would message. And that wasn't just one person. So there was like a range of people. And I think that can be really helpful um, because not everyone might respond um, immediately, but maybe some of those do. And you might just need some uploading at some stage, um, which can be really helpful. So I would definitely, yeah, recommend not to just focus on one person and people can um, have different roles. Um, what they, you know, some people are very good in providing informational support. Mm. They're very good in doing their research and giving you that information. And others are very good at listening and giving you that emotional support. So just remember that we've got a lot of different types of support. You've also got that instrumental support. So that person is really practical, driving you to, you know, all your appointments. Um, but they might be absolutely unhelpful when it comes to that kind of emotional um, support. So just yeah. know the strengths of your social support network. Yeah, it, it sounds like we're kind of creepy on like love languages, doesn't it? Like you have different partners that respond to different things. Is it acts of service? Is it touch? All that different thing. It's kind of interesting. There's kind of parallels there. This hot debrief as well. This is a phrase that I've never heard of before. But so that means like immediately post the event, you deconstruct in that moment. I've never heard of that phrase before. Yeah, like just, I guess how you can think about it is maybe a brain dump of right, like right. your thoughts and feelings. So it might just be those messages you sent to your friends in the moment, yeah. like immediately after, uh, or, you know, you, maybe you're doing voice recording or just write down, but don't try to make any sense of it. Like this real kind of brain dump of um, your thoughts and feelings. Interesting. Useful. Okay. Right. Um, thank you so much, Carla, for, for sharing all this information, the, the lessons, the tools from your, your book. Um, I do wrap up every episode with three quick fire questions, if you're up for that. Yes. Yeah, we'll do a try. <laughs> so the first one is, which, what's one lesson you wish you'd have been taught when you were a child? Um, I think definitely the kind of the reflection on the positive things. Um, I suppose that, you know, I never did reflection much anyway as a, as a child. Um, I think it might be hard for some children. But actually, um, you know, what's one thing you enjoyed about today? Just a simple question like that. I do that with my daughter now and um, she's really embraced that. She's like, all right, mommy, uh, what's one thing I enjoyed about today? And she wants me to ask that. And I think it's so helpful because there's, most days for most people there's at least one thing that you know was fun or you know made you perhaps smile or mm. you know I, I appreciate that's not for everyone um but that's definitely something I think is quite a nice a nice thing to do mm. and next one what's one habit that you've maybe introduced to your life recently that's that's helping you feel healthier and happier that our listeners might be interested in hearing about um, so definitely this, what do I enjoy? Today. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it can easily make it into a habit. Uh, but I think one of the, the, the major kind of change that well, not recently, it's quite a long time is, is the kind of notion of, of 
mindfulness, like practicing mindfulness, um, you know, tuning in to um, your thoughts, feelings without judgment um, has been very helpful as a as kind of a, a habit to implement. Mm -hmm. And last one, if you could give everyone in the world one book, which book would you give them? Well, um, obviously books are so personal. It's really hard to kind of recommend uh, one in particular. Um, but Invisible Women is a, a recent book I've read, um, which I think is a, is a really important must read um, about the kind of data gap uh, when it comes to, to women. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some amazing examples in there, but like simple things like the police uniform, like how they've been designed. They're not designed for women, like especially the, how do you call it, the vests, the safety vests. Uh, they don't accommodate for that women have breasts um, in the research. And, you know, like menstrual pads, only since this summer, they're actually being tested with real menstrual blood. You know, those types of things. It's like this, this massive kind of gap in sports sciences, women are too complicated because the menstrual cycle. So they have been excluded from a lot of, you know, especially in cycling time trial studies, um, because, you know, where they are in the menstrual cycle and the hormonal changes are too complicated for a lot of scientists to account for. So um, I think it's definitely, uh, there's so many really interesting examples in that book. Um, I think even an example about Sweden and like snow shuffling, how that had to be adjusted or like when they looked at that critically, they're actually adjusting the order of which road to, to shuffle the snow um, made a difference to the amount of incidents um, people in A&E with falls. So I think it is a really <laughs> fascinating book. Um, if people are finding that kind of stuff interesting, um, a recommendation. Nice one. And talking of books, where can people get their hands on a copy of your book, Empowered Birth? Yeah, so it can be obviously bought um, through the kind of main booksellers um, or directly from Sequoia Books. Excellent. And people that want to connect with you and see what you're up to, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, so I'm on Instagram as Carla Sports Psychology. Um, I also have a website, which is carlamayen.com. So that's uh, M-E-I-J-E-N. Um, if you're wondering how to spell that, uh, I'm also on uh, Twitter slash X um, at Carla Mayen. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the, the great questions. Thank you for tuning in. I really hope you found my conversation with Carla insightful. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with friends, family and colleagues who you think would find it helpful too. You can also support the podcast by following and rating the show on whichever app you're listening on. Thanks again, and I look forward to bringing you another episode soon.